That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Michelle Pobega, naturopathic doctor. And I'm Dr. David Miller, ND, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting all the pieces together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of healthcare. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you should know about. Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high quality naturopathic doctor designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. I am Dr. Michelle Pobega, naturopathic doctor, and I am flying solo for today's episode, which is quite exciting because um, I am going to talk about a topic that I really love uh, to educate people on. It's one of those things that not a lot of people want to talk about and also one of those things that I find conventional physicians and even people in more of the holistic field are not very well versed in. Um, and generally the public shies away from discussing this. Um, and I think there's also a lot of, um, that can't be possible type of mentality. So it's easily dismissed and without further ado, that topic is parasites. Um, I did a recording with Dave before I became co-host about parasites. And I feel like, I don't even think that was a year ago, but I, my, my knowledge and certain things and my understanding about parasites continues to increase because it is a field that I'm extremely interested in and fascinated by the impact that these buggers have on our system. And I am making it a mission, not only to support people's digestive health and support their liver and gallbladder health, but also support them with the knowledge and the understanding about how to, um, eliminate parasites and the effects that these things can actually have on your system. So, um, to begin, I, if you didn't listen to the original podcast, please go back and find that um, uh, under that naturopathic podcast. We talked all about parasites. Um, and I do want to just kind of continue the conversation and bring up a few new things that I have since learned and have kind of fallen into my radar, as well as just some basic things as well that I want to reiterate or just kind of branch open, um, branch out again, uh, branch out on a little bit more. 
tripping up my words. That always happens when I go solo. Okay. So the one thing I do want to really make clear is that parasites are far more common in developed countries than I think most people recognize, realize, or even want to admit to themselves. Um, if you uh, have a pulse and you're alive and you don't live in a bubble, you have come across a parasite. You don't have to travel to a third world country. You don't have to go to Southeast Asia. You don't have to have gone to Cuba to have gotten a traveler's parasite. Um, they are not um, exclusive to certain conditions or certain traveling kind of expeditions as we, I think, commonly expect. And like I mentioned in the first episode that I did with Dave several months back, I think people have this gnarly idea of what a parasite is. Um, and it immediately evokes this like tapeworm image or like imagery of the movie alien when something is like ferociously trying to come out of your abdomen and people get very disgusted. And I think that imagery evokes um, like a big stress response for a lot of people. And I get it. Um, so I think if people automatically go to that headspace and then it makes them very uncomfortable, but it doesn't have to be a tapeworm for you to have a parasite. It doesn't have to be that massively big and aggressive and disgusting looking. That being said, we want to get rid of them. We do not want to be harboring these, I like to call them fugitives, harboring a fugitive in your system um, because they can really trigger a wide range of health issues and irritate pre-existing conditions, make other things worse, or be a causative factor for why a lot of irritating symptoms can exist and show up for somebody's system and their health and quality of life. Um, but they are far more common. For instance, if you have cats, dogs, anything like that, you could be passing parasites back and forth. Um, it is estimated that like 12% of Americans actually have like Toxoplasma gondii, which is a microscopic type of parasite that you can get from having a cat. Yay, animal lovers. No, it's okay. It's just par for the course, guys. Um, before I continue, I just want to say as... Ooh, stress provoking, as disgusting as having this conversation is, we need to start normalizing it because we need to stop pretending something doesn't exist that doesn't get rid of the problem. If you just ignore it and you just pretend that it's not part of the situation, you're never going to get the resolution you want if you choose to ignore the things that are uncomfortable. And that could be said for all sorts of health conditions, not just parasites, but specifically for this. We need to start normalizing conversations about these things and making it more of a standard practice to understand how we can increase the quality of our testing, our surveillance of symptoms, our understanding of how this can affect people's health because they play a really significant role. They can play a significant role um, in someone's dis-ease and also uh, their elimination can play a significant role in somebody's recovery back to a state of balance and health and homeostasis. So I do want to just say that. And um, we need to be mindful that there are many things in this world that already make our bodies extremely weakened and vulnerable, which then create an opportunity for microbes 
uh, like yeast, like pathogenic or sorry, opportunistic bacteria, like mold, like fungus, and like parasites to latch on stronger inside of our system. There's an increasing toxic burden that's happening in our system. First of all, a lot of people have to talk like compromised detoxification pathway. So they're just not getting rid of junk the way they're supposed to be. And then on top of that, we are exposed to exponentially higher and higher amounts over the, over, over the last several decades of toxins. So now our body is contending with a lot more stuff than it should be. And this pollution and environmental toxicity and chemical, chemical toxicity and compromised detox pathways can worsen a parasitic problem because toxins can then weaken or preoccupy your body's natural defense systems, which means that um, they are not as able and capable of the surveillance for microbes maybe as they should be. Um, and these types of also toxic burdens can also alter parasitic activity. So we do want to keep that in mind. Modern day society puts so much stress and pressure on our body's ability to function optimally that more often than not, I'm seeing that people um, have compromised function because of all these chemical burdens, because of Roundup and pesticide residues affecting your bile and your microbiome, because of crap diets that add chemical burden and um, imbalance our blood sugar regulation and cause more fatty liver and add more chemical burden and also don't feed the correct type of microbiome um, because of flame retardants on mattresses that for some reason we still have and we're sleeping on them eight hours a day because of like new car smell, because, you know, go on and on and on and on. So this is why I find this topic extremely important because we forget how all these moving parts kind of put a pressure cooker on our system and then allows us to be more creates more of a vulnerability in how our body operates and then can allow for pathogens that your body probably should have been able to identify and kick out to otherwise thrive in your system. Okay, let's keep going. So what exactly is a parasite? Because I don't even know if I fully defined this at the first podcast. Um, it's basically a pathogen that lives on or inside other organisms. Um, their livelihood is usually at the expense of their host um, because they depend on their host for nourishment. So I usually like to call them like harboring a fugitive <laughs> or um, having a freeloader in your body because they're basically robbing you of nutrients. If you suffer from chronic iron deficiency or chronic B12 deficiency, and nobody can seem to crack the code as to why your body is not absorbing these things, it might be because you have a microbial overgrowth that including of parasites because parasites actually love to feed on iron and they can drain your red blood cells of B12. <laughs> so these are things that we want to keep in mind. Um, so they are going to not only use up your nutrients, feed on vital, uh, so feed on like even like your foods that you're eating, um, affect your nutrient absorption or feed off of certain nutrients that your blood cells and everything would otherwise need. But also they release their own garbage into your system. Like it's not a, it's, it's not a good scene. So this garbage can then add to that additional chemical and toxic burden that we've already, I've already expressed is, is 
um, a thing already in modern day society. Um, so they're stressing your body's detoxification even further, causing more inflammation, causing stress on your immune system's response as well. And that could lead to myriad effects. So it might not even be the parasites specifically that's causing the effects, but it could be their waste products that are causing the consequences and the side effects and the quote unquote symptoms that are showing up for somebody's body. When it comes to parasites, they can range in size. They can be microscopic like Jardia. They can be, um, some can be seen by the naked eye. You'd be surprised how many people come back to my office after doing a parasite cleanse being like, what did I just witness come out in the toilet with this flabbergasted look on their face, which is hilarious to be on the receiving end of that. Sorry, everyone, but it's pretty entertaining. Um, and then there's, there are things like tapeworms. Right. And I have had some clients, hello, living in North American, you know, climate who I have found tapeworms and like significant size worms in them. So, um, we do have to realize it's going to be a range of sizes. And sometimes when people do a parasitic cleanse, they're like, what am I looking for? And I'm always, I'm always letting them know they might see something in their, in their bowel movements that comes out, but they're not always going to either, depending on the type of microbes that they are harboring. So like I said, those microscopic ones, you might not see them. Sometimes it looks like rice puffs in your poop or black flecks in your poop. Um, and you wouldn't otherwise think that it's a parasite. So just keep that in mind. So a lot of these microscopic ones can live inside your cells. Some kinds of, some parasites can live within, um, the spaces in between your cells, the ones that live in your cells can be inside red blood cells. I've seen them on live blood analysis where you can see eggs being like, have been laid inside of red blood cells. They can also live in fat cells. Um, so if someone's having a really hard time losing weight, there might be a parasitic component to that. Um, they can also invade your muscles, your lymphatic system, your brain, your gut, your lungs, your liver, and other organs and tissues. And this is why I always say doing just a poop test is not going to be a definitive enough test for where these things can be hiding. Cause it is mostly a sample of what is happening in your large intestine, AKA your colon, maybe some of the distal part of your small intestine, but it's not necessarily going to be a reflection of what's hiding higher up in your small intestine and not what's hiding in your liver and your gallbladder and your ducts and in lungs and all these other things. So it's really difficult to find the most perfect test for parasites, um, which is why having a really good intake and understanding of these things, as well as maybe having to examine options that are outside of just quote unquote traditional type of medical tests. There are a lot of other options out there, but I've always said there is no perfect test. I tend to reach for the things that are, um, that are a little bit different when it comes to testing to find things. Anyways, um, when a parasite finds itself into an organ system, it can highly disrupt the function of those cells and of those organs. Some worms have an affinity, some, sorry, some parasites have an affinity for the liver. And we've talked about this before. So yes, liver flukes, but Jardia even has an affinity for the liver. And a lot of other parasites can go up and clog up your ducts. So if you have clogged bile ducts or liver ducts because of parasites, just like a gallstone will plug up those ducts. And I'm big on those gallstone flushes. Do you think you're going to have 
optimal detoxification if your ducts, the main the main channels for which your bile um, and the toxins that are being carried in your bile are supposed to be removed out of your body. If those ducts are plugged, how well are you actually detoxifying your system? So these plug ducts are a big, a big deal. They can also block the valves in between your intestines. Hello, SIBO. Hello, ileocecal valve issues. You know, um, that's a big deal too. Hello, constipation. So we need to start looking looking at these things as a higher likelihood than we have up, you know, traditionally been looking at, um, parasites when it comes to their impact on health. Um, parasites are also smart. They have a lot of very interesting ways that they can evade your immune system. Uh, we have to, as physicians, we have to learn to be smarter than the parasites and smarter than the microbes. And I feel like for me, this goes for almost all kinds of microbes because they have very adaptive types of mechanisms to go stealth, which is why antibiotic resistance is a big deal, um, why biofilms are a big deal. They have this way to hide and evade our immune system. Parasites are freaking phenomenal for this. Um, they can actually, like single-celled parasites can actually start to change the proteins on their surface so that they cannot be recognized by the immune system and therefore they cannot be killed off. Uh, hello, smarties. Um, they can also like alter their form. And I have recently found out that they can actually change into a protective cyst to evade your immune system. And that just starts to make me look at people who are prone to cysts. Like I know, um, when I did a polycystic kidney disease kind of course years ago, um, part of the training was to identify that the fluids inside cysts are typically very inflammatory fluids, and you're more likely to start developing cysts if there's been a microbial infection, low grade stealth, all that kind of stuff. And then it makes me wonder, like, what about the parasitic infections now? And if they can actually form a cyst, are they a big contributing factor to cystic kidneys, to liver cysts? And then I started wondering about like ovarian cysts. I don't know if there's any research on this, um, but this is just where my head going at as like why I seem to be seeing more people who have like liver cysts, kidney cysts, um, polycystic ovarian diseases, things like that. And I'm trying to, I don't want to paint everything with a parasitic brush. I want to be mindful of not having that weird bias. Um, but it makes me wonder, right. And I feel like it's a valid question to start asking and looking into further. Um, when going back to, I forgot to mention something about the organ function. I recently was having a conversation with my osteopath at one of my offices. Um, and she has recently been working with a client that I referred to her, um, just in the last couple of months. And now with this particular client, she's a younger female and there were certain signs and symptoms where I was like, I wonder how your liver is doing. We ran some liver enzymes. And I think I talked about this at my previous parasitic um, recording with Dave and we ran liver enzymes. They were elevated, not enough by, I guess, standard physician, um, measures in order to run, a, uh, an ultrasound for her liver. Um, because she was showing signs of elevated liver enzymes, but not aggressively. So, so they're like, it's not high enough to run a, an ultrasound to see if there's fatty liver, which irked me to no end, but that's fine. 
Um, so I was like, okay, well, there's probably a reason for that. And there were certain things with her digestion. I was like, okay, let's, let's run some tests, <coughs> excuse me. And sure enough, she had liver flukes as well as some other microbial burdens. So we cleared those out. She was one of those people who came back to me with like a, the look of seeing a ghost on her face when she came back into the office being like, yo, I saw some stuff in the poop. It was wild. And we had a small celebration, even though she was also mortified. Um, and since then we have also been doing some things like liver gallbladder flushes because I was concerned that if these liver flukes were hanging out in her ducts, that her bile might've been sluggish. She might've also had some residual stones trying to clear the pass, opening up the among trees, opening up her drainage pathways um, to ensure that we could begin to move uh, her body's ability to heal in a positive way. And then we hit a bit of a plateau and I was like, I think you need to go see the osteopath here and get some visceral work, which I think was actually the best move and the right step at the right time. Um, and the osteopath recently spoke to me about this client and she said, um, I wanted to let you know that doing osteopathic care during a parasitic cleanse is obviously really great. She is like, but also after she's like, cause here's the thing, parasites will alter and affect the natural pulse and rhythm of an organ. So she is like, not necessarily the movement of an organ in the sense of like how in the intestines move food through your, through your colon. Um, so like even just with the intestinal tract, there's so many different layers and levels of muscles so that the contractions of that intestine, um, depending on which layer of muscles are contracting, it, it creates a very different response with what the intestines are doing at that moment. Like there's circular muscles, there's longitudinal muscles. And then there's also this sheath that's called that, that dictates the MMC, which is your, uh, uh migrating motor complex, which is kind of like your house cleaning, um, sweeping motions between meals. Um, but there's also, when you start talking to people like osteopaths and people who do visceral manipulation, there's also these subtle pulses within the organ system that are really important to their vitality. Um, there's some wild stories that I've had with osteopaths about pulses. And if it becomes stagnant, like I knew an osteopath who didn't even want to treat people who sometimes had IUDs because just that having that IUD in, um, inserted in the female organs actually creates a stagnation and then has a myriad of consequences that are not easy to fix after. Um, I've had people who have had cemented retainers to the upper palate of their mouth and that upper palate of your mouth actually has to have a pulse. And I had this conversation with my personal osteopath and that upper palate has to have a pulse as well. And if you have a cemented permanent retainer, it could actually interfere with that pulse. And I had a client who specifically had a whole bunch of weird symptoms and fought to have her retainer removed. And they started to dissipate within 24 hours of having that retainer removed. So these subtle pulses that each of our organs and the various diaphragms we have in our body, because we have more diaphragms than just the one that we think behind our rib cage or at the bottom of our rib cage, they have to have these pulses. And that also goes for our organs. So bringing this back to parasites, because I just find this so fascinating. You talk to an osteopath, like my mind gets blown open. She said that parasites will actually affect the natural pulse um, and the rhythm, the beat of that organ. And she said that my client specifically that had the liver flukes she was like, her liver is so stagnant 
and it's so stuck and it's almost like rigid. So she was like, it's good that she's coming to see me so we can begin to like move things and shift things. And when an organ is rigid, it pulls and pushes and it tugs on all the fascia that surrounds it, which then can affect all the organs beside it. And then you can have a myriad of problems. Um, that's why like, even like my client also has heartburn and liver issues can be a causative effect for heartburn. And part of that is because if that liver is inflamed, if it's, um, enlarged, if it is stuck and it has, and it's adhered in the fascia in a very, um, challenging way that can pull on the fascia that is also then connected to the stomach and it could lead to reflux symptoms. Like the human body is so freaking wild. So my client was starting to see really cool changes after getting this osteopathic care, um, to some of her elimination and her detoxification, you know, there were some signs and symptoms of her detox pathways being a little bit better and elimination being better from a bowel movement perspective. Um, so, uh, not only do parasites like clog up the ducts and maybe block the valves in your intestines, they can also actually alter the subtle pulse of those organs, according to my osteopath and her experience with working with bodies. So keep that in mind as well. So just because you've purged them, you might still need to do other things to reinvigorate or re-engage blood flow and proper nervous system response and lymphatic support to the organs in which these microbes were kind of festering inside of. Um, so I thought that was like a wild conversation. I was really wanted to share that in today's episode, because that was literally something new that I discovered through that conversation with the osteopath, which I found was so fucking cool. Oops. I swore. Sorry guys. <laughs> so, um, the last time we talked about certain symptoms that might be telltales of having parasites, like there's so many things. Um, and sometimes the symptoms can feel vague and sometimes, you know, they, they, they don't always come on like right away. Like if you have traveler's diarrhea, you're going to have some you're going to have diarrhea within a few days of, of getting that. Um, so some of those things can be immediate. Um, other symptoms might not be noticeable right away. So the initial symptoms might be digestive. Um, because usually it's coming in through like an oral fecal oral or something kind of capacity. Um, but if that parasite has a way of infesting deeper into your system, your symptoms might be very varied and happen after a few weeks. And some parasitic infections can legitimately drag on for years. So it is something to keep in mind. It's not always going to show up just as like diarrhea, um, but you can have a lot of abdominal issues. You can have something called air hunger. Allergies are hugely exacerbated by parasites. And I talked a little bit about this. I think in the first episode that I did with Dave, uh, anemia, anxieties, arthritis, autoimmune conditions. Hello, they exacerbate the immune system in a wild way. Bedwetting is a big one, bladder inflammation, bloating, chronic fatigue, constipation, even eye inflammation, fevers, flu-like symptoms, food sensitivities, gallbladder and bile duct disease. Hello. Uh, gassiness, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, headaches, insomnia, itching around the anus. Um, we can also have 
unexplained nausea. Uh, we can have poor blood sugar regulation. We can have muscle and joint pains, nutrient deficiencies. I talked about earlier, seizures, skin rashes, itching skin, sores, teeth, grinding, vomiting, weak immunity, weight loss, weight gain. So there, and, and they can show up at any time of the day, but I find traditionally parasites are a little bit more active at night. So sometimes if you have a spike in symptoms in the evening or during your sleep, that your sleep is widely affected, that could be a big thing. And we talked about this at the original episode I did with Dave, but also around the full moon. Um, the full moon actually has an effect on our serotonin levels and parasites are attracted to serotonin. So when the serotonin rises, your parasites kind of come out of the woodwork and become a little bit more agitated and affected. And you might feel the effects of those a little bit more. We also want to keep in mind that parasites, um, I guess they're kind of like a Trojan horse where they are a sponge to holding onto a whole bunch of other pathogens like limes, like mold, like bacteria, like yeast, like fungal issues. And there's an interesting thing too, where they can make your body hold on to heavy metals, but heavy metals can also make your body hold on to parasites. If you have Lyme's disease, your body's immune and surveillance system is already so overwhelmed. It might make you more likely to get parasites, but parasites can also come on because of that and allow for that to build up. Like it becomes a very snowballed. So <clears throat> I just wanted to kind of reiterate some of these things that we should be thinking about a little bit more when it comes to why people's symptoms present the way they do, what could be possible, possible contributing factors to that. Do not dismiss the idea of parasites, a standard OVA and OVA and parasite stool test from a medical doctor, man, the qualities of these tests are so deficient. You guys, please do not hang your hat on the results of those. They are often only looking for a very small, um, number of microbes that they're testing for. So the, the test isn't sensitive enough to pick up on the varied amount of parasites that couldn't exist in someone's system. Um, and also I find that because those tests, the way they do the test, they're not sensitive enough that if you're not getting sent home with three kits to do like four to five to six days apart or something like that, then you might not be catching the parasite at a specific life cycle to be able to detect it with the type of testing they do um, for just standard poop tests. Naturopathic medicine offers things more like comprehensive stool analysis where there's DNA testing and things like that, that you can find like fragments of the DNA. But again, that's going to be very much for the colon. And it's not necessarily going to tell us about like liver, lungs, red blood cells, all that kind of stuff. I've used live blood analysis. I use also bioenergy energetic testing, um, because, um, the bioenergetic testing is a little bit less discriminatory to where something is. The live blood is fascinating appointment as well. If you can see what's going on, I always recommend microcell sciences for my clients. Cause I find the caliber of their ability to read the blood and the passion behind Shannon's, uh, Shannon's passion for microbiology and like just honing her skills more and more and more with live blood analysis is like unparalleled in my opinion. So, um, that would be typically where I would send people as well, if I wanted to get a live blood analysis. Um, but voila, there's the last thing to think about before we wrap it up. Thanks for everyone's attention while I go on and on about parasites. And I imagine <laughs> everyone's probably like enough already. Um, 
parasites are super sneaky and they could literally be lurking everywhere, which is why this is not just something that you've traveled for. This is part of everyday, modern day living, North American soils, you guys. They're in water, food, pets, soils, other people, and even surfaces. So like undercooked meats or seafoods, if you're eating a lot of sushi, like you might have to be a little bit concerned about having parasites. A lot of liver flukes come out in, in sushi, uh, waterborne stuff too, even some municipal water, soil. You could pick up parasites from the soil just by walking barefoot outside. Now, that being said, I don't want anyone to get freaked out about that. We do need to connect with nature. Barefoot walking is amazing, right? So uh, do connect with nature on a regular basis. Um, but if you're going somewhere in a questionable area and it's like not just your backyard, then probably wear some shoes. Um, pets. I love pets, but like, I'm like dog sitting right now. And I have been for five weeks and I refuse to let this dog lick me on my face. And if she's licking my hands, um, then I'm washing them before I do anything else after, because my digestive tract is my place of vulnerability. And I have had parasites before I'm of the, I'm of the headspace that once you do a really good purge. And like I said, in my first podcast, it can take sometimes up to like nine to 12 months to fully get rid of stuff, maybe even longer, depending on how pervasive and how, how much these things have grown and for how long they've been kind of like living inside your system. Um, that most people could stand to do a parasitic cleanse, like every one to two years as a tune-up because they are everywhere and we need to just have maintenance protocols set in place for this. Um, blood transfusions, sorry, that could be a possibility. Surfaces like toys, bedding, doors, handles, other objects, you know, some eggs can be airborne. They can linger on the objects in air sometimes for weeks. You can breathe them in. Like it's just, like I said, if you have a pulse in your breathing, you've come in contact with a parasite. The real hope is that your body's surveillance system and detoxification systems are not completely overburdened and compromised so that your body can handle this effectively and efficiently when you come in contact with a pathogen, right? And if they're not, do seek the help of a naturopathic doctor or a functional medical doctor um, who does have the intelligence and the understanding of how to manage these things and uh, understands that sometimes it's, it's a good duration of time that you need to be doing a proper parasitic protocol and how to go through that efficiently and effectively. Cause in my, in my expertise and in my education and in clinical practice, I always make sure to have various parameters in place. You need liver support. These things are going to dump their garbage all through your system. Um, ideally you want binders to sweep up and collect that garbage so that it gets properly removed from the body as well. You may need to support the immune system and you need to be smarter than the parasites. You cannot just do the same protocol three months or six months in a row and expect things to just continue to purge you got to change things up, right? You got to change. I usually change things up every three to four weeks for my clients so that you're staying one step ahead of the parasites and there's no way for them to get completely, um, to be able to anticipate your next move. It's kind of, you got to do a sneak attack constantly. So you have to know how to go through this process, um, and change things up and have a multitude of antimicrobials available to go through this process and possibly take breaks and then heal the gut and put out some fires. Like it could be a process. Um, but it's an invaluable one if it's done correctly. Um, 
Voila, I think I'm done talking about this for today. <laughs> um, I hope that was helpful and informative. I hope everybody's not like completely grossed out. Um, actually, no, I hope you're grossed out enough to realize that this is something we need to be considering more, but not too grossed out that you shut down to this conversation and to the idea that this is something you have to purge. Nobody loves the idea of having a parasite. And if you do have something that's a slightly more significant size, that's visible to the human eye and it comes out of your system. Yeah, it can, it can, it can be a pretty remarkable moment to, to see that witness it and just being like, what in the F came out of my body just now. But here's what I always tell my clients better out than in. And if you got to put a post-it note on your bathroom mirror every day or across from your toilet bowl and just be like better out than in better out than in stay the course kick those free letters out. They do not deserve your nutrients. They do not deserve the energy, your energy. They do not deserve to dump their garbage in your system. They do not deserve to irritate any existing condition or be a cause of any discomfort or dis-ease in your system. Let's get these buggers out. You guys down with the freeloaders, clean up the system. Okay. Everyone. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. And uh, I'll chat you again next week. Bye.